Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, nightskytourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast. Check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. Are you ready for an adventure under the night sky? Let's jump right in. I will never forget the first time I saw Jupiter through a telescope. It was a chilly evening at Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I'd been teaching a naked eye astronomy class to a group of homeschool students. And so we took a field trip to Lowell. And we went on a daytime tour. We looked through a solar telescope and saw sunspots. And then we headed to the old downtown area of Flagstaff. And we had dinner. And we meandered around and had fun. And then we returned for stargazing after it got dark. I saw the bands of colors where all those swirly storm clouds are brewing, and I also saw four of its 80 moons. It was mesmerizing. And I'll never forget the first time I saw Saturn through a telescope. My friend Tony had his telescope set up outside of the local library, and he was busy talking to someone, so I had no idea what he had his telescope pointed at. So I kind of snuck up there, and I took a peek, and I was stunned when I saw Saturn through that eyepiece. I could clearly see its rings, and I almost had no words to say, which is quite unlike me. I felt like I was looking at this living thing millions of miles away. And I can honestly say it was transformative for me. I had a new connection to the cosmos, and I had new feelings about my place in it. Jupiter and Saturn have been in our view for most of the summer, and they're going to continue to be hanging around until winter. But Jupiter is up to something pretty cool right now, and I wanted to talk about how to view these two stunning planets this fall. So to do that, I've invited Ted Blank back to the podcast. Ted was my very first guest, and he's done a lot of really fun Q&A segments in past episodes. He's a NASA Solar System Ambassador, a co-founder of the Fountain Hills Astronomy Club. He serves on the board of the Fountain Hills Dark Sky Association, where I'm currently serving as president. And he's also the vice president of the International Dark Sky Discovery Center, where I also serve on the board. So please join me in welcoming back to the podcast, Ted Blank. Ted, thank you for joining us again on Night Sky Tourist Podcast. I always love having you here. Thanks, Vicki. Great to be here again. So we've got some cool stuff going on with Jupiter and Saturn. And, um, you know, I walk out the door at night and that's, if, if it's not the moon, the first thing I see, of course, is Jupiter because it's really bright and it's in a really great spot right now. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be high in the sky, Jupiter and Saturn will be high in the sky all the way through the fall. And I'm curious, before we jump into talking about Jupiter and Saturn, are there other planets that people can see in the night sky through the fall months? Yes, yes. Um, Jupiter and Saturn are not the only things we'll be able to see in the sky. Um, these days, uh, 
at about 11 p.m., Mars rises in the east as the Earth rotates to bring it into view. So, uh, you know, 8 p.m. is not the only time we can see uh, things in the sky. It's nice to get to bed early, but if you can stay up a little later now, uh, Mars is going to be visible. And, and of course, due to our, not our spinning day-to-day, -day, but our orbital motion around the sun night after night, uh, things rise in the east four minutes earlier every day. So that's about two hours a month. So a month from now, Mars is going to be rising not at 11 p.m., but more like 9 p.m. And a couple of weeks after that, it'll be pretty visible in the sky at, at 8 o'clock. So uh, keep an eye out for ruddy red Mars rising in the east as Jupiter and Saturn appear to be farther and farther to the west at sunset. Very cool. And I know that we cannot see Neptune with the naked eye. Can people see that from, say, their backyard if they have binoculars or a telescope? A small telescope will do it. Uh, Neptune's now within about five degrees of Jupiter in the sky. So if you can see Jupiter, you should be able to see Neptune with a telescope. It's going to be quite small, of course. Just to give you an idea of the scale, Jupiter's five times as far from the sun as we are. Neptune is 24 times as far from the sun as we are. Whoa. <laughs> so finding it is a real challenge, but it is definitely a bluish green color. It looks like a small round marble, a tiny, tiny round dot in the sky in a small telescope. Uh, it never gets big. You never see any detail on it, but the color gives it away. And so if you manage to use a telescope mounted on a mount, computerized mount with a go-to, that'll really help you find it a lot. Or you can star hop to it using star charts that you can get on the Sky and Telescope's website. Neptune has kind of been a big thing in the news lately because James Webb finally pointed its telescope over there and gave us some really, really beautiful pictures of it. And the it's rings really, and everything. Oh, it's just gorgeous. Absolutely fantastic. And recently, uh, some scientists observed uh, Neptune uh, passing in front of a star, and they were actually able to see the star's light dim slightly as each of Neptune's three major rings passed in front of the star. Mm. That was a first from Earth. So uh, we're, we're actually getting some data about the thickness and width of those rings as we measure the starlight uh, dimming and then brightening again as the star appears to pass behind Neptune. It's actually Neptune that's doing the moving. I think in a previous Q&A segment that you did, we talked about how uh, Neptune rains diamonds. Do, am I remembering that correctly? I think that whatever's in the atmosphere, it gets compressed so much that it rains diamonds. I, I think people thought that might be happening on some of the planets that are way, way bigger than Jupiter and Neptune around other stars. So exoplanets, okay. but not in our solar system. Well, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know if it would feel good coming down, but I think we could put up with that. Yeah. So we've also been seeing Jupiter in the news a lot lately because there are articles everywhere saying that it's closer than ever. And tell us about that. What's going on? Well, you know, we on Earth go around the sun once a year. And every every time we do that, we, we get a birthday. But uh, Jupiter is farther away. And it, it takes Jupiter about 12 of our years to make a trip around the sun. So we catch up to Jupiter on the inside track about 12 times every Jupiter year. And right now we have just caught up to Jupiter again. And so we've got a night of Jupiter, Earth, 
and the sun right behind us in a straight, pretty much a straight line. So the sunlight that's bouncing off of Jupiter is, is coming back when we're fairly close to Jupiter. Plus, Jupiter's orbit is not exactly a circle. It's slightly squashed ellipse. And Earth's orbit is not exactly a circle. And so at the moment, Jupiter is a little closer to the sun than average. And Earth is a little farther away from the sun than average. And as a result, the distance between Earth and Jupiter is close to a minimum. So not only are we on a straight line between Jupiter, Earth, and the sun, we're actually closer to Jupiter because we've swung a little farther away from the sun than we typically are. The uh, angle, the direction of the, the longer axis of our elliptical orbit is pointing straight at Jupiter, and the axis of Jupiter's slightly squished elliptical orbit is pointing straight at us. So we're a little closer than average to Jupiter. So it's really, really bright in the sky. Apparently... This is the closest and the brightest we're going to get in years of my lifetime. Like we won't see it this close again. Absolutely, because the the uh, angle of that axis of of those uh, elliptical orbits uh, precesses around very very slowly, and so it takes it takes hundreds or thousands of years um, for them to pass to completely make a circle around, and then of course they have to both be pointing at each other, and Jupiter and Earth have to be at the close parts of those elliptical orbits, not at the other end, the farther away. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a pretty unusual situation. Nothing, nothing earth shaking, but definitely rare. And we're lucky to be alive for it. Let's say that someone has never looked at Jupiter through a telescope before. And I hope that they do everything they can to be able to do that this fall. Uh, what are they going to see? Well, when you look at Jupiter, you would probably see some stripes on Jupiter. Um, if you can't see Jupiter's great red spot, you're very likely to see stripes around equator. What you're actually looking at there is weather on another planet. Those are huge storms that wrap around the whole planet. And they've been there ever since Galileo looked at Jupiter in his telescope 400 years ago. So the most obvious thing you'll see, though, are what we call the Galilean moons of Jupiter. Four large moons that orbit Jupiter at different distances. If we were looking down on Jupiter from above its North Pole, we would see those four moons making circular orbits around it at different distances. But we are in the solar system plane, like Jupiter and its moons. So we're actually looking at those moon orbits edge on. So they appear to go back and forth from left to right. When they're going from left to right, they're going behind the Jupiter. And when they're going from right to left, they're going in front of it. So uh, they take different amounts of time. And when Galileo saw those four moons, of course, he initially wrote, he thought they were stars, just happened to be behind Jupiter. But as Jupiter moved through the sky, <laughs> those four stars tended to follow it around like little puppy dogs. And he quickly realized that those were moons of Jupiter orbiting Jupiter. And the first evidence that there was something in the universe that didn't orbit, apparently orbit the Earth. Basically, the history of modern cosmology, I think, starts right at the moment when Galileo's brain went, aha, <laughs> those are moons of Jupiter, and there's a little Jupiter system up there that we need to understand. I can't imagine how foreign of an idea that that would have been, because we only have the experience of a single moon, and to think, oh my goodness, this planet out there has four moons, which we know now... Jupiter has something like 79, 80 moons. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but for, still a little mind-boggling, I suppose. If we had four large moons like Jupiter, what a romantic thing it would be to be <laughs> out 
Yeah. So Saturn, you know, my favorite thing in the whole world is letting people look through my telescope at Saturn. And um, I can tell you 90% of the time what people are going to say when they put their eye up to the eyepiece. 90% of the time, they'll look and go, oh my God, is that real? And so I'm curious, what has been your experience when you show people Saturn for the first time? Almost identical. <laughs> the one thing that I hear often is, uh, did you put a sticker on the front of your telescope with a picture <laughs> of Saturn on it? And I tell them, no, that's not how telescopes work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, it's a wow experience for everyone. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. And uh, last night, the sky was very, very calm. Uh, the atmosphere was calm. The seeing was good. And there was a lot of detail on Saturn uh, that we looked at with uh, some students in a field outside of Fountain Hills here. So tell people what they're going to see when they look at Saturn for the first time. Oh, well, of course, you'll see the rings tilted up, uh, I think, at about 15 degrees now. You'll, you'll actually see some cloud bands on Jupiter if your telescope's large enough and the sky is calm enough. And very likely, you'll see several of Saturn's moons, at least one, the giant moon Titan. But last night, we could four to five of Saturn's moons, looking like little paint specks kind of scattered all around it. And sure enough, every night you look at Saturn, they're in different places because they're moving around pretty quickly. So if someone doesn't have a telescope, can they use just regular binoculars to look at Jupiter and Saturn? Well, Saturn's a little too far away to see any detail with binoculars. But uh, Jupiter is definitely possible. What I tell people is take your binoculars and put a bag of rice on top of your car, put your binoculars on the bag of rice, find Jupiter in the eyepiece in the binoculars, and then let go and look through the uh, binoculars without touching them. You'll immediately see that uh, Jupiter's moons uh, become visible because the, the little muscle tremor in your hands moves as, as, as still as you can hold your binoculars. There's still a tiny bit of movement and that smears out the light from those faint, faint moons. But as soon as the telescope or binoculars stops moving, you can see those, those four moons that Galileo saw, even in a typical pair of, of binoculars. So give that a try. There's also a little bracket that you can buy um, that will allow you to attach your, your binoculars to uh, a photo tripod. And then you can aim it anywhere in the sky and let go of the tripod and look through the binoculars and, again, get rid of that muscle tremor. And a lot more faint stuff will become visible in any size binoculars than it will if you hold them uh, in, in your arms. And, of course, both of those planets can be seen with the naked eye. You're not going to see any of those details that you've talked about. You can't see Saturn's rings with the naked eye. But I hope that people, if they if they can't get to a telescope or they don't have binoculars, mm -hmm. go out and just look at it with the naked eye. And we have our star tour coming up, and I'm going to be talking about some stuff about Jupiter and Saturn. So people can mm -hmm. just go out with the naked eye and just look at them and listen to that part of the podcast. So I hope people do that. But let me ask you this. So we're, we're at the end of summer now. We've actually just passed the fall equinox. And so what are the best times for viewing Jupiter and Saturn until they, until they disappear from the night sky? Well, yeah, uh, right now, Saturn's well positioned for viewing right after sunset. As soon as the sun goes down, you'll see it. And it has, it has a golden hue to it, which is actually the color of Saturn. So you can tell it's not a star. Um, and uh, Jupiter is rising about 
839 o'clock as, as the Earth rotates around to bring it into view. But again, remember, every month, everything rises about two hours earlier. So um, th those planets, they won't disappear instantly as such. They're going to get a little farther to the west every night. And in, in a couple of months, uh, when the sun goes down, Saturn will already have kind of set uh, in the west with it. Jupiter will be uh, visible in the south. But Mars is going to be rising. Uh, right now, Mars is rising about 11 p.m. And in a month or two, you'll be able to see Mars nice and high in the sky between 8 and 9. And uh, you'll get a good chance to view uh, Mars, that beautiful red planet. And as uh, the uh, months go by, Mars will get higher and higher in the sky. By Christmas, Saturn will already be set after uh, at sunset. Um, and by February of next year, Jupiter will also have set by the time it gets dark. But remember, by next August, Earth will have gone far enough around the sun that we'll be able to see Saturn in the sky again in the early evening. And a few months after that, Jupiter again. Well, I think it's always exciting to see the planets in the sky. And, you know, we see the constellations. They change from month to month as well. So maybe a constellation we can't see this month, we're going to see in another month or two. And so it's really cool. Just go out like once a month, at least if, if you don't have time for more than that, at least once a month, see what's new that's up there. See that whatever constellations there, is there a new planet? Have they moved? Well, of course they will have moved, but just start to get to know the night sky. It's really fun. It is fun. And as you say, every month things change enough and it gives you an idea that, uh, that we live in a moving universe, mm -hmm. Earth spinning, moving around the sun, the planets doing their dance around the sun as well. And it's always a new sky every time you look up. Ted, thanks so much for sharing with us about Jupiter and Saturn. And we will surely be seeing you here again. You're welcome. My pleasure. Hey, friends, do you listen to Night Sky Tourist on Apple Podcasts? If so, would you take a couple of minutes today and leave a review? Your review lets others know that it's totally worth their time to listen to Night Sky Tourist. When you share what you love about it, someone else who is searching for something great will know that they have found the right podcast. Just open your Apple Podcast app, find Night Sky Tourist, and scroll down to the reviews. You can click on the Write a Review button, give me five stars, and then share a few words. I appreciate your reviews and I need them more than you know. If you leave a review today, I will send hugs to the moon and back for you. Thank you so much. It's time for our tour across the night sky. Pause the podcast, gather everyone in your house, and I'll meet you outside under the stars. Since we've been talking about Jupiter and Saturn in this episode, let's spend our time under the sky learning more about these gorgeous gas giants. Jupiter is pretty easy to spot since it's the brightest object in the night sky right now, after the moon of course. Jupiter is the fifth planet from the sun and it's the largest planet of all. It would take a thousand Jupiters to equal the size of the sun, but it would take 1,300 Earths to equal the size of Jupiter. Jupiter is famous for its colorful stripes and of course its great red spot. And these are really powerful storm clouds. 
The great red spot is so large that three Earths could fit inside of it. Astronomers have discovered 80 moons around this gigantic planet. And Galileo was able to find four of them when he first pointed a telescope up there. You can spot some of those moons if you look through a telescope or binoculars from your own backyard. It takes Jupiter almost nine Earth years to make one trip around the sun, but it spins on its axis faster than any other planet. And so it makes its day less than 10 hours long. But it spins so fast that it bulges at the center. And that's something that you can notice when you look at it through a telescope. Jupiter is not a solid planet like Earth. If you wanted to take a spaceship there to explore, you'd have to figure out how to land. The planet is made of gas, so there is no solid surface. Jupiter does have some rings, but they're not very impressive like the ones around Saturn. Jupiter's rings are made of dust instead of ice, and so they're really difficult to see from Earth. You're not going to be able to see them with any instrument from your backyard. Jupiter is usually the fourth brightest object in the sky after the Sun, the Moon, and Venus. Ancient cultures around the world had different mythologies about the objects they saw in the night sky, and Jupiter often represented their gods. To the Babylonians, Jupiter represented their god, Marduk. To the Hindu astrologers, it was Brihaspati, the teacher of the gods, and it was often called the guru. In Germanic mythology, it was Thor, the god of thunder, and we get the name Thursday from Thor, Thursday. The Chinese, the Vietnamese, Koreans, and Japanese all saw it as the wood star, which was based on the Chinese five elements. But we get the name Jupiter from the Romans. Jupiter was the Roman god of the sky and was also known as the father sky god. And for the Greeks, Jupiter was the same as their god, Zeus. Now let's turn our attention to Saturn. Saturn is located to the west of Jupiter right now, but it's not nearly as bright. It's currently sitting in the constellation Capricornus, but since Capricornus is made of really dim stars, you might have trouble spotting that thanks to light pollution. So if you're unsure of where to find Saturn, use a stargazing app. And as always, be sure you turn your screen brightness down and you set the screen to the night mode so that you can prevent your loss of night vision. Saturn is the sixth planet from the sun, and it's the second largest after Jupiter. 760 Earths could fit inside of this ringed planet. It's twice the distance from Earth as Jupiter is, and it takes light one hour and 29 minutes to reflect back to us from there. In other words, as you look at Saturn right now, that's actually where it was almost an hour and a half ago, but it took that long for the light to reach your eyes. It takes Saturn 29 Earth years to complete one orbit around the sun, but its day is a little more than 10 and a half hours long. So this makes Saturn also bulge at the center. An interesting fact about Saturn is that it is less dense than water. So let's say that you had a swimming pool that was big enough to hold Saturn. If you put Saturn in the pool, it would float. And the reason is that the planet is made almost entirely of gas. Just like Jupiter, it has no solid surface. Astronomers believe that two tons of Saturn's mass 
came from the earth, which creates some very interesting questions. Galileo was the first person to look at the planet with a telescope. He thought it had handles or arms sticking out from it. But 45 years later, after telescopes got a little better, another astronomer announced that Saturn actually had rings orbiting it. Those beautiful rings are part of what makes us love it so much. They're mostly made of ice and rock, and some of those are as small as a grain of sugar, and some are as big as a house. A 2016 study showed that debris that makes up the rings could be the remains of dwarf planets that broke apart in an extremely distant past. Saturn does a really important job for us here on Earth. Its massive size, its location in the solar system, and the gravitational pull helps it to steer a lot of dangerous asteroids away from Earth. So we're pretty grateful to have it there protecting us. Saturn has 82 known moons, and Titan is the largest. Titan is even bigger than Mercury, and it's the second largest moon in the entire solar system. Jupiter's Ganymede is the largest, and our moon, it gets the place of fifth. Some of Saturn's moons might even be able to support life because they contain water. And one of those even has about a hundred spouting geysers. Saturn is named after the Roman god of wealth and agriculture. In the ancient Greek culture, Saturn represents the god Kronos, the god of time. In Hindu astrology, Saturn is called Shani, and he judges everyone based on the good and bad deeds they did during their life. In the ancient Chinese and Japanese cultures, it's known as Earth Star, again based on one of the five elements. Our favorite day of the week was named in honor of Saturn, Saturday. But it was the Romans who had the most extensive myths about the planet. They believed the god was the father of Jupiter, Neptune, Pluto, and other gods. And every year in December, the Romans celebrated the festival of Saturnalia at the time of the winter solstice. It was a time of feasting, role reversals, free speech, gift giving, and revelry. And some of those old traditions have found their way into the Christmas holiday. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to all the things mentioned in this episode or visit nightskytourist.com slash 49. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Night Sky Tourist Podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist Podcast, please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter for exclusive content. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up.